Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. All right. Hello again, everybody. It is another week, another big week in politics. Uh, Jason Wheeler here with my uh, cohort, Jason Whiteley, uh, working remotely still, but joined on a Zoom meeting as we are watching the Republican convention uh, playing out uh, this week from Charlotte and uh, through cyberspace as well. Jason, we were supposed to be there. We were supposed to be there. We, we did get our uh, money back, I think, on the Airbnb we had reserved there. But, you know, this this whole election season, just like 2020, it's been nuts. We were supposed to be in, in yeah. uh, Milwaukee last week for the DNC. That didn't happen. We are going to go to Charlotte, and then that got changed to Jacksonville. So we're trying to figure out how we go from uh, Milwaukee to Jacksonville driving mm-hmm. since they don't want us flying on planes with covid and then it went back to Charlotte. Now it's going to be in Charlotte for a couple of days and then in D.C. But, you know, nevertheless, we can all see it, which is the good news. And, uh, you know, conventions, as you know, Jason, are for two big things. To nominate the next president and vice president of the United mm-hmm. States for each respective party. And number two, to, to formally lay out what everyone believes in that political party. It's called a platform. And and that's why you get everybody together, uh, whether it be in person or remotely, to talk about, hey, here's what we believe in. Voters, if you believe like we believe, uh, come on aboard and, and vote for us. Uh, here is what we stand for. Here's what we plan to do as a party uh, with our candidate in these next four years if you give us your votes. And Representative Matt Krause tweeted something that I woke up to this morning and I'm pulling it up here on Twitter and uh, you know I get up in the morning first thing I check is my phone and to see what uh, what people are tweeting and the first thing he tweeted out was uh, opening line to his tweet this is a mistake folks parties should revolve around principles not personalities it's always a good exercise to flesh out those principles every four years I'm thinking "What, what in the world's going on here Evidently, the Republican National Convention, the committee, has um, created and passed a resolution where they are essentially taking bullet points uh, of things they believe in, as opposed to to creating this big document that they have every year. And they're essentially saying, you know, kind of what we did in 2016 is kind of what we're for right now in 2020. And, you know, it's all about President Trump. And I think there's a, a line in there that suggests something about that. And before you start emailing me and putting our podcast on pause and finding another one. Let me find this line here. Um, it, it says that, uh, where is this line, Jason? The RNC enthusiastically supports President Trump, continues to reject the policy positions of Obama-Biden, as well as those espoused by the DNC uh, today. Therefore, be it resolved that the RNC, Republican Party, has and will continue to enthusiastically support the president's America First agenda. Now, you expect that because he's the president, he got elected, and the president who's in power is the one who is leading uh, his or her political party. 
Representative Matt Krause, and I'm sure there are others who might not be coming forward, like this state representative who is a Republican from Fort Worth. He said, you know what, we, we need to, we, we appreciate the personalities, but it's about policy. And these documents live a lot longer uh, than an individual does in office, let's say, for their political terms, Jason. Yeah, so all of that being said, though, uh, he is excited about the convention. He is excited about the candidate. He is excited about uh, their possibilities as a party, both here in Texas and nationally. And so uh, we decided let's get him on the line here and and talk to him about all of this uh, since we are in the big week of the Republican National Convention this week. And we caught him. Uh, It looks like uh, he's on his way to Galveston. Hey, Representative Kraus, how are you, man? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing well. We are going here for the podcast. You're on the road, it sounds like. Where are you going? Uh, actually heading down to the Galveston area. Uh, I've got some legislative tourism caucus meetings uh, that we had planned for weeks. So um, we're hoping we don't have to turn around and drive back, but uh, that's where we're headed. <laughs> Isn't it stormy out there? It, well, it's supposed to be. Uh, it, it, it may not hit very hard until about Wednesday or Thursday, but we're just keeping an eye on it. I've had these meetings set for weeks, and the tourism industry is just being crushed right now. So we're just trying to figure out ways to work with them. So I wanted to make those meetings, uh, if at all possible. Okay, so it is uh, convention week, and here you are on the road trying to make other things happen. Uh, you know, life goes on, but uh, tell us a little bit about this week and, and, and what you're expecting and, and how you feel right now. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's going to be a good week. I think uh, when you have these uh, conventions back-to-back, you really get to see uh, the stark lines that contrast the two parties. And uh, I really feel the Republican Party at this point in time has much more to offer than what we saw at the DNC convention last week. Uh, seemed to be a lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of uh, just just a lot of gloominess and, and dark clouds on the horizon. And so uh, I think this week you'll see some hope, you'll see some inspiration, you'll see some encouragement. And uh, I, I think if we do that, Americans will respond really well uh, to what to what we're trying to do in the Republican Party. What does the president need to say on Thursday when he formally accepts the nomination? Yeah, I think he needs to say um, uh, as much as possible, highlight the accomplishments of the past four years. He needs to talk about how the economy's done really well, creating an environment where we've uh, lowered taxes and cut regulations. I think he needs to hammer home uh, that, that we don't want to defund the police, we want to de- uh, defend the police. I, I think that's been a stark contrast these last few months about how we're handling law enforcement officials. I think we need to continue to talk about uh, the the great days of America that are ahead and how the Republican Party the last four years up until the pandemic hit had put us in a great uh, position where we were more prosperous, we were more free, and we were more safe than we've been in many, many years. Can you tell us a little bit, though, about platform? Uh, because there has been some criticism that the uh, the Republican Party has not put forward forward a platform this time around, like we would normally see going into a convention where all these different policy uh, announcements are made uh, and where everything is just sort of laid out as to what the positions are across the board. This time we're seeing something uh, more along the lines of bullet points instead of this you know sort of laid out grand vision of what four more years would look like under a Trump administration yeah you know that's a great point and uh i'm i love being a part of the republican party but i was one of those that that criticized uh the party for not laying out their platform i think it was a huge missed opportunity for us 
uh, I, I never think you want to tie uh, your agenda or your platform to a personality. It always wants to be about principles. And so uh, the platform is the place where you articulate the principles that your party stands for uh, and in a presidential year for the next four years. And I think it's always a healthy thing. I think it's a good thing uh, for us to go through that exercise and let Americans know if you vote for Republicans into office, this is what you can expect. Limited government, uh, more prosperity, uh, more security, more safety, God, family, uh, traditional values. I think those are good things to reinforce and to let Americans know. So I wish we had done that and we had put that in our platform uh, that we haven't. We'll address it again in four years. But uh, again, when I feel like the Democrats are going a little bit more extreme and to the left more and more, this was a good opportunity for us as Republicans to say, here's what we believe. They line up with American values. That's why we uh, justify that, that justifies a vote for us. And you have that concern there that you start down perhaps a slippery slope of, uh, you know, almost you know feeding into a cult of personality if you don't have uh, the party's uh, priorities laid out uh, in black and white for everybody to read and, and instead it's just about person instead of party well and that, that's exactly right and, and at the presidential level you get four maybe eight years with one person in the oval office from your party and so that's it that, that's a pretty short shelf life when we're talking parties and long-term governance and so i never think you uh, you, you never want to tie uh, your agenda just to a person, you always want to make it bigger than that. And you would hope that that person uh, who's heading your party would abide and, and uh, run with those principles. And, and I think we've got a good shot at doing that. But yeah, that's why I always get a little nervous about tying anything in politics to a personality person. You always want to start with the principles and you want to go from there. And, and to my knowledge, uh, Representative Krauss, it looks like that the party, the GOP, kind of readopted the 2016 platform as opposed to creating a new one. They'll, they'll create a new one in 2024, uh, is what the resolution said. But I, I'm just curious, why do you think this happened? Yeah, you know, I, I did hear from uh, from a few folks that one of the reasons that they had done that is because they weren't going to have the convention as it usually is. They weren't going to have as many voices. They weren't going to have as much input and feedback from the activists and the platform committee and those people elected as delegates to come. And so... In a way, they thought it would be unfair to have uh, a dearth of voices this time and just have a smaller uh, contingent make those decisions for the entire party. So I, I can see that and, and I can understand that view. Uh, but if, if you're going to adopt the 2016 platform, uh, let's adopt that and kind of put that out there again as our platform um, and instead of just saying refer back to 2016. So you don't agree with this decision, and, and you've you know been very open and honest about that and public about that. Have you gotten anybody who, who doesn't like that you're saying that? Because you go into these convention weeks, and everybody wants to hear unity, no matter which party you're in. They do not want anybody to, to look like they're not on message. Have you gotten pushback? Uh, no, not too much. I've had a few people say, you know, I disagree with you. Um, even on social media saying, hey, I think the simplicity is good. I think the brevity is good. Let's move forward and let's win this thing in 2020. So I haven't gotten a, a ton of pushback. Had a few people who have disagreed with me, but that's okay. Um, they're free to have their opinion. I, I still think it was a missed opportunity. Um, and I, I never want to set the precedent that we're tying things to uh, a personality, only to principles and policy. So and that, that's a good, healthy debate for us in the Republican Party as well. I don't think it takes away from the unity. I don't think it takes away uh, from what can be accomplished during this convention week. 
but I think it's important to speak up and say that this was a missed opportunity. For those who don't know, Matt Krause is one of the nicest guys in the Texas legislature. I mean, I don't, I don't know who would get mad at this guy. Um, but thanks for answering well, Jason's question. I'll send you a question. few Facebook yeah, I'll yeah you I, bet you, I, I bet you got the receipts uh, for that one, don't you? <laughs> that's, that's, well, that's right. L- that's, l- let me ask you this, Matt. Um, for an incumbent running for re-election, despite the office, they run on a record. Um, and, and we've all seen what's happened with the COVID pandemic and, and what's going on with the economy, which is a result of that. Um, how hard is it going to be for the president to, to run on his record of the last three and a half years? Yeah, you're right. The, the pandemic kind of re- reset everything. Uh, now, I do think that there are a few uh, positives that the president can uh, trumpet uh, in, in, in the next week because we've seen kind of a V-shaped curve with the economy. Uh, there's still more work to do. And, and certainly, as, as I'm talking to these tourism folks, uh, the economy is not back where it needs to be. But you look at the stock market, you look at some of the indicators of the economy, you look at jobs added, you look at people off the unemployment rolls. And those have all been some positive trends the last two or three months. And so what people thought might not ever kind of come back, we've seen a V-shaped recovery like a lot of people didn't think was going to happen. And I think that uh, the president can speak on that, can take a lot of credit for that. Uh, But you're right. There's some things that uh, looked like he was going to run on prior to covid uh, that that's going to suck up a lot of the oxygen heading into November. I was going to say, isn't there a real danger here, though? There's a tightrope that has to be walked here because you have seen a recovery, you know, especially if you look at the stock market. I mean, that bull's been running straight up. Uh, but there's millions and millions of people whose jobs have not been restored yet. And, you know, a lot of those people are not going to want to turn on the TV every night and, and see this, you know, celebration fest. You know, they're, they, they're feeling the impact of this still. So isn't there a real tightrope to to walk there to acknowledge those people but then also talk about hey we've had some successes here too oh I, absolutely jason you, you you couldn't be more right it, it's a very fine line and some of uh what we've been saying for months now uh for those who've been saying we got to get people back into their jobs and into their livelihoods is you can keep people safe and healthy focused on the most vulnerable populations, but allow people to get back to their jobs and earn money for their families uh and their livelihoods Now, I do think that that was a big misstep from Joe Biden uh, right towards the weekend where he said, you know what, I'd shut the economy, I'd shut the country down again. And so if you've got people at home who are worried about losing their jobs, wanting to get back into that uh, job market, when you've got one candidate doing all he can to get people back into their jobs and you've got another one saying, hey, I'm ready to shut this whole economy and this whole country down again. I think that's going to make for a very stark contrast for the voters, and I think that'll be a big deal going into November. Matt, we're going to hear a lot of uh, different uh, perspectives from Republicans this week. What do you think are the top three things the president has done in this term? Yeah, uh, from a conservative standpoint, I think you look at his judicial nominations. I I think we're almost at 250, if not over 250, uh, strong conservative jurists that have been added to the federal benches all over the country and many different district judges, appellate courts, and even the Supreme Court. So I think that's a big deal. I think you look at the regulations that the president has cut and his administration has cut that it's kind of created the environment for the economy to do so many good things. And then finally, on foreign policy, I think you look at the uh, agreement between Israel and the UAE last week, which was a big deal. You look at the state of ISIS compared to where it was three or four years ago, and I think there's a lot of positives uh, on the domestic and foreign policy fronts that he's going to be able to 
talk about and, and, and take credit for that that's done uh, a lot of good for our country. Let me ask you something that we asked the Democrats last week during their convention, and that is, are you nervous uh, about what could happen here in Texas? You know, for the first time in a long time, this state is really competitive as far as the presidential race goes. Uh, polls have been really tight between these two tickets. And, you know, I just want to find out how you feel, how your colleagues are feeling about this right now, uh, because, you know, we're we're getting close to this thing and it's it's tight here in Texas. Uh, we, we were told by Democrats last week they were nervous about that uh how do you feel about it yeah and and, and that's a great question um as jason uh knows i'm an eternal optimist so um <laughs> I, I you know i always look at it not only is the glass half full but the, the water's overflowing out of it so um you always got to take that with a little grain of salt but i i feel really good about it there you're right the polls were tightening up a little bit here in texas especially when we were uh, in the thick of the pandemic uh, Joe Biden didn't have to be out there, wasn't saying anything, wasn't making any news. I think any incumbent president would have uh, felt the effects of what was happening with the economy, with the pandemic and other things. And so those uh, polls were tightening up. I think what you're going to see in the next four to six weeks, uh, is the te- uh, Texas Hispanic Foundation showed us last week that Trump's opening that lead up to seven points. Uh, we're working hard in our district in House District 93, reminding the voters of what we did in last session. We're getting a great response. Uh, it looks really good uh, where we are. We're one of the targeted districts. I think the lack of a uh, any kind of national speaker at the, uh, at the Democrat convention last week, no Texans really highlighted, shows that they're not that serious about taking Texas. I think you see the comments from Biden's campaign that it's a massive media market. They haven't committed that many resources. Beto was even saying the Biden campaign's not doing what it takes to win in Texas. So I think they're seeing that it's trending away from them. Um, and I'm feeling good about President Trump's uh, chances here in Texas. I think he wins Texas. Um, and, and I don't think it's as dire of a situation in the state house. I think Republicans keep the state house. And uh, I, I, I think we've got a great message that resonates. $500 million to retired teachers, $800 million to border security, which keeps uh, human trafficking, sex trafficking, illegal drugs from pouring into the state. I think we've got a great message, and, and we're just going to be trumpeting that uh, until November 3rd. And now I want to switch off before we let you go here, Matt. I want to ask you about the the legislature um, of which you're a member. The governor came out the other day and said that uh, he has a bill to punish cities um, that would uh, defund the police. I'm curious what you think about that and whether there's uh, better legislation that could be crafted. Um, And secondly, uh, you know, Democrats on a national level may not be, uh, you know, 100 percent about Texas. But on a on a statewide level, they are they're pretty confident they might take majority control of the Texas House. That would really change the game, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. If, if they were able to take the uh, Texas House, especially in a redistricting year, you're right. It would change things. Now, I do think there's a big difference between 2018 and 2020, though, and they're using 2018 as a lot of basis for their optimism. As I told somebody the other day, Beto won Tarrant County by a small percentage in 2018. The veto we know now that wants to take away your guns and tax your churches could not win Tarrant County in 2020. So you can't just automatically assume you're going to have all the carry forward that you had in 2018. But even in that environment, when it was about as hospitable and good for Democrats as possible, they weren't able to take over the Texas House. And I just don't think they're going to get there this time. Um, And I appreciate what the governor said about uh, standing up for our law enforcement officials and making sure that we are uh, defending the police, not defending 
I've had earlier. And so I'm, I, I think we ought to look at a bunch of different uh, legislative ideas that uh, if you're going to be a local government that defunds the police or in any way puts its citizens in harm by taking away resources from those law enforcement officials, Texas needs to stand strong and say, we back the blue and we're going to be there for you. Matt, it's always good to talk to you, man. Yeah, hey, you too. Thanks for having me on. I love it. Ever since I heard Yolitics, I thought, man, that is a great name for a show. So um, th- thanks for having me on. It- it- it's always good talking with you. All right, so that is Representative uh, Matt Krause uh, here in Texas talking about the Republican National Convention going on this week. Uh, you know, interesting thing that he said there, Jason, and uh, I want to see how this plays out. I don't know if President Trump got the memo on this one, but he says uh, that last week the Democratic uh, National Convention seemed like it was kind of a a, a dark affair, like there was anger, there was fear uh, being uh, broadcast out. And he says, this is going to be a whole different thing than that. We're not going to have anger. We're not going to have fear. Uh, and it will be interesting uh, to see that because, you know, everybody knows uh, President Trump uh, prides himself on being a big counterpuncher and doesn't usually uh, head up to the podium, uh, you know, just for the love fest. Uh, and, and so it will be interesting to see. Uh, how starkly things are put uh, at the Republican convention. We will see if Matt's vision indeed plays out this week. Because, Jason, as you know, uh, a, a big way that candidates drive people to the polls, and I, I'm not saying from one party or the other, a big way sometimes that you can get your base energized, though, is with anger and fear about the other candidate. And you see darkness or light, depending on where you are from uh, each party as well, too. So those right. who are, uh, you know, members of the GOP, they might, you know, look at the DNC and say, that's all Biden talked about. That's all Kamala talked about. Right. And Democrats might say, oh, what, are you kidding me? L- look at what uh, President Trump and has that's done all they'll the see last this week. three and a half yeah. years. That, that's exactly right. So, you know, this is a topical podcast. And, and for, uh, you know, for a little explanation on that, we try to record this podcast just before we release it so we can get the latest information in here. This is not one of those right. that's recorded, a, you know, a week or two ahead of time. So because of that, we wanted to wait and, and call the delegates once they had gotten to Charlotte. Not all 155 Republican delegates actually went to Charlotte, North Carolina uh, for the Texas Republican Party. Um, just a handful of them went. Nevertheless, uh, we have reached out to a handful of them. And as you can imagine, Jason, those handful, because there are fewer there this year, are super busy right. doing a million things. And on Monday, they uh, delegates formally renominated Donald Trump as the uh, for a second term as a Republican choice for president. Uh, president Trump showed up to speak in the yep. morning. He's apparently going to speak all four uh, days as well, too. This is not like we've seen. This is, you know, clearly nothing like we've seen before. And fewer delegates there means it's a heck of a lot harder to get them for you, Jason. It is. Uh, And, you know, (laughs) some of them even took our calls, which was nice of them, but then immediately said, man, there's no way. I don't even have. Come on, man. Just give me five minutes. No, I don't even have five minutes for you. I'm heading from one meeting over to another meeting uh, and I just can't do it. And then we catch the plane out and then it's over with because, you know, they're trying to minimize the amount of time that they're there and around each other and so forth. Uh, And and we even had one who said, man, I'm a big fan of the podcast and I'm still not going to do it because I'm too busy 
to do it. So we tried. We really tried to get a delegate on here. We wanted to talk to an actual delegate from Texas, and we don't want to talk to a delegate from, like, Kansas or some other place that they might point us to. We want to talk to someone from Texas. So not happening. Not happening on that front, but we have somebody else that we were able to speak with. Um, this is Donald Trump Jr. A couple days ago, got a phone call, and they said the Trump campaign said, "Hey, would you like to uh, talk to Donald Trump Jr.?" Absolutely. What are you kidding me? Yes, we definitely want to talk to him. So um, we did a Zoom with him a couple of days ago and asked him a number of things. Uh, asked him, you know, what the president's plan for four more years would look like. Whether Donald Trump Jr. as a senior advisor and the son of the president would, uh, in fact, accept the results of the November election as well. We had a handful of questions for him. This is a Zoom that I did a couple of days ago, and he answered them all here. Mr. Trump, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Good to be with you. Let, let's talk about the case for a second term. What are the marquee items the president wants to tackle in a second term if he's reelected that he hasn't been able to accomplish so far? Well, listen, I I think we'd love to see him work with Democrats to be able to get an infrastructure bill. I think everyone recognizes that the infrastructure of this country has become dilapidated. Donald Trump is a builder. He understands how to do these things. He's tried to work with Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats on this, which is why it's so important to take back the House, because they don't want to give Donald Trump yet another economic win. But especially now, coming out of the COVID crisis, putting Americans back to work, rebuilding our infrastructure is going to be so critical. And Donald Trump is legitimately the perfect guy for that because he's been a builder his entire life. He understands how to get that done. I want to talk about the Republican National Convention is coming up here, too. What will your dad's main message be next Thursday night when he accepts the nomination again? Well, listen, I think he's going to talk about rebuilding America, bringing it back from the China virus. The reality is before this you know, flu hit, uh, America was in the greatest economic position it had ever been. The lowest unemployment numbers in history for African-Americans, for Hispanic Americans, for women, for, for every demographic possible. The highest new startup business for the same group of people. Uh, the lowest income earners for the first time in modern history. Their wages were actually going up. That didn't happen by accident. That happened because Donald Trump had a plan. Speaking of the November election, will you accept the results of what happens in November? A hundred percent. You know, if things are done fairly. Right. I mean, to to arbitrarily say that is is a little ridiculous. You see what's going on with some of the mail in balloting push. We're fine with absentee balloting where we've said that a hundred percent where there's a system. But where randomly you blanket mail hundreds of millions of ballots to people who may not be living in those places is a system that's ripe with fraud. And you don't have to just believe me. Look at Jerry Nadler. Not exactly a conservative. He said that about New York. New York right now is I think 50 something days post a primary, they still don't know who won because of that disaster. So utilizing existing things that have worked in the past is fine. But to try to rework that system for 350 million people 70 days out uh, seems pretty ridiculous. Mr. Trump, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's great being with you. Jason, I've never interviewed Donald Trump Jr. I, I, you know, got a couple of questions off to his dad at a press conference when he was running in 2016. Uh, and of course, I've seen Donald Trump Jr. a lot, um, but it was it was interesting to get his perspective on this race, especially considering the calendar. We are a little more than two months away. You know, Labor Day is traditionally the you know the quote unquote start of the election season, and it's going to fly uh, over the next two months. There's no mm-hmm. question about it. 
Yeah, it's going to feel like a time warp here. Uh, and, and, you know, an interesting thing, uh, you're going to feel it, I think, here in Texas more after this convention wraps up this week and we do get into that official stretch run there uh, that we typically have in, in one of these seasons because uh, we're going to be getting bombarded with ads here in Texas. You know, we talked earlier about those tight polls uh, between uh, Trump and Biden here in Texas. Texas considered on a lot of political maps right now. You'll see it shaded in gray or in stripes or whatever it may be uh, for that particular map because it's considered to be a battleground this time around. And we haven't seen that uh, in a very long time here in Texas, Jason. So it's going to be interesting uh, to see how this plays out and what those polls continue to look like here in Texas. Can the Democrats really scoot in there and make this a true fight over the Lone Star State? Because we've talked about this before. If you took the map from 2000 16 and you left all the red states red and all the blue states blue but you flipped only texas it would have changed the outcome of which party won the white house so this is a big prize if you can get it uh, and they're going to be trying to get it both of them yeah no question and republicans are looking at the latest poll here at least texas republicans yeah uh, latest poll in the state about what 10 days ago i believe it's the texas hispanic policy foundation it was the very first uh, piece of, of uh, analysis that it, it commissioned and uh, revealed, but it showed that President Trump has widened his lead 47 to 40 over um, mm-hmm. Joe Biden. Nevertheless, polls have shown this is going to be a tight race. Republicans know it's going to be a tight race. Who wins? We're still 69 days or so away from that. The big, the big thing moving forward, Jason, I think for both parties is maintaining momentum. Yeah, all the Democrats are stoked right now after that uh, convention they had last week. Republicans going into theirs, they're going to be sp- uh, stoked You know, this time next week after that. But you still have 60-plus days. I asked um, Veronica Escobar, who is a congresswoman. She took over, um, was elected to Beto O'Rourke's seat, the seat that uh, Congressman O'Rourke had after he gave that up. To run for Senate. And I asked her the other day, I said, how do you maintain momentum and all that energy that Democrats had? This is the same regardless of whether you're R or D. But one thing she said is we can't, you know, because of social distancing and separation, we can't be face to face. We can't shake hands and lift babies and things like that anymore. So get ready for the phone calls, she said. Get ready for the text messages. Get ready for uh, Facebook ads, any way they can reach out and get to you. That's where the candidates are going to be over the next two months, Jason. Because amazingly, we've talked about this, there are actually still a good number of people who say that they haven't totally made up their mind. You know, you think that you've made yours up and everybody you know has made theirs up because you hear them ranting or raving every day about this candidate or that. There's still a sizable percentage of people who say that they could still be persuaded one way or the other. So, uh... I don't know how they've gotten this far and not been persuaded yet by one of the two sides, but there are still some people who are sitting on the fence kind of thinking this through at this point. It's amazing for as polarized as everything is, there are people still like that as well, too. Either way, you should be voting for Yolitics and going down there and leave us some comments on this uh, as well, too, when you subscribe. We appreciate you listening this week. We'll be back to talk about what happened at the RNC. We'll mention some of that in next week's episode as well. Hope you have a good week. 